Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. Notice how I greet you with glory to Jesus Christ. We're back to our usual greeting because this is now, finally, ordinary time, as they would call it in the Latin Rite Church. In the Eastern churches, we just simply call it the days or Sundays after Pentecost. And we number each week, you know, the first week after, the second week after, and so on. We had the Pentecost Day, celebration of Pentecost, which means now we brought to conclusion what actually started on March 25th, or at least that's when we commemorate it. That, of course, you recognize March 25th, the Annunciation. It's when the angel Gabriel comes to the Virgin Mary, announces that she'll be pregnant with the Messiah, with Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. So that's the very, very beginning of the incarnation, the great descension, or we could also call it the condescension of our Lord, the self-emptying. Think of it as a great big swoop, a great big singular movement of down, 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 Christ continuously, one event after the other, debasing himself, humiliating himself, being born in a cave, being circumcised, submitting himself to the law, being baptized, going down into the waters of the Jordan River, which is the lowest place in the face of the earth. He dies on the cross, is lowered into a tomb, then he lowers himself into Hades to do battle, to break the bonds of Hades. Then he rises up, of course, that's Easter, the Paschal season, and as he's rising, he takes our human nature with him and finally mounts it on the very throne of heaven with him, and the last thing to do is to send down the Holy Spirit so that he, who is now in heaven, body and soul, Jesus Christ, can at the same time still be with us. God will be very much present with us in the church through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So it's a descending action, deep, deep descending action, and a deep and high, high transcending or ascending action. So it's all done. We've entered into that. We had our greetings such as Christ is risen, Christ is ascended, and before that, Christ is born. We had those greetings. Now, it's all been done. It's all up to us now, although with God being present among us, to carry out 
to fulfill, to live what Christ has done for us in this big swoop. I call it a swoop or kind of a cycle, descend, descend, and ascend. And so we greet each other with the usual, quote-unquote, ordinary greeting, glory to Jesus Christ, and of course you respond, glory to him forever. These days after Pentecost, they have one more little spike in them, and that is this Sunday of All Saints, where we remember and commemorate and enter into all those saints that came before us. And why do we do that? We also, last week, commemorated all those souls, people who died, who passed on, everybody who passed on, especially those who died in Christ, those who died in the state of grace, people of faith. We commemorate them at the All Souls Saturday. Now, this week after Pentecost, we commemorate all saints. Why do we do that? It's a culminating moment in the Eastern churches because we commemorated all that Christ did. We commemorate the fact that he crosses over from earth to heaven, yet remains present with us, so he unites heaven and earth together. And so we now commemorate all those who lived what Jesus Christ did for us, what he left on this earth for us, what he taught us, his very life that we enter into through baptism. We now commemorate all those. It's sort of a like a consummation point, a summation where everything Christ did is now come together in human beings. That's why he did what he did, the condescension and the ascending. It's something he did for us human beings so that we could live the way of Christ, live in the very life of the Trinity, live according to grace. And there are people who did that, and we call them saints. And there's all kinds of saints. They're saints because they were martyrs, saints because they were very venerable people, saints because they were confessors. There's all these different categories. And so we enter into those people in a very real way. We always do it, all of our services, especially the liturgy. But on this day, we commemorate all of them, all those who have gone on who have become saints. And we do that because what we're trying to do for ourselves is to convince ourselves by immersing ourselves into this holy day that we too are called to be saints as well. We're supposed to be the summation of all that Christ did as well. In other words, it's time for us now to live it. Christ has given it to us. He's given his very body to us. He's mounted human nature, the very throne of heaven with him. It's just unbelievable what God has done for us. What else could he do? A question was one time asked to Pope St. John Paul II. Why does God allow this? Why doesn't God fix this? Why doesn't God already put an end to all this evil and so on? And John Paul II said, well, what else could God do? I mean, he came down, he lowered himself, he suffered, died, walked with us, taught us, descended into hell, did battle with the devil, raised us up. What else do you want him to do? It's now for us to choose to live that life. And there are people who did at great cost to themselves, even at the cost of their own lives. Life and limb sometimes, they were tortured and severed and cut apart. Oh, it's just awful, the stories. Every day in the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church, we have a saint or more than one saint commemorated, in addition to the events of the life of Christ and the Virgin Mary. But we have these saints, and we read their stories, and it's amazing how much suffering they endured, everything imaginable. And many of them, because they were so filled with God's grace, they did not succumb to the worst tortures. So usually these stories end by saying that the torturer, the persecutor, usually it was the Roman emperors, they finally cut off the heads of these holy people, which we call martyrs. Now, 
Others died a white martyrdom, which we call the venerable saints or the confessors. In other words, they witnessed to the faith by their life, which was, in a sense, a kind of dying. That's why we call it white martyrdom. This is especially the case of monastics. That's why monasticism developed. It was a kind of white martyrdom. Can you imagine people actually regretted the fact that they could not or would not give their blood? They would not die bloody martyrdom? Can you imagine that? It's something we try to avoid, hope doesn't happen. Not that we should necessarily look forward to that. But these people were so endowed with the truth, so on fire with God, that they still wanted to be martyred. They were almost disappointed, almost disappointed that they would not die with this dramatic witness of their love for Christ. So they still wanted that. That's how much in love they were with God and his truth. So they found a way to do it. It's called white martyrdom. They would die to themselves, die to the world, die to comforts and pleasures and indulgences and so on, die to spiritual mediocrity. And they would seek and reach for the ultimate in spirituality with great asceticism, great self-denial, great suffering and sacrifice. And in the meantime, in that process, they would grow to great heights of holiness capable of great things, healing people, imparting great wisdom, leaving behind immense bodies of wisdom for the spiritual life, literature, homilies, and so on. That's what they did by dying. By dying, they gave us life. In fact, we say in our prayers about many of the desert monastics that they watered the desert with their tears. They watered the desert with their tears, their tears of repentance. Their love for God was so heightened that it gave them a certain vision, a clarity about their own unworthiness in light of God. You see, the people that were the most repentant, the most mournful of their sins or their weaknesses were those who were closest to God. It's something like if we were to get nearer to the sun or if we look at the sun, the sun comes out, especially in the hot days of summer, what do we do? We love it, but we shield ourselves from it because it's so powerful. We realize in the face of that light, that warmth, that power, that majesty, that awesomeness of the sun, we realize in contrast to that, our own vulnerability, how we are nothing compared to the sun. And we're dependent upon the sun's rays. It's the best source of vitamin D for us, as well as other vitamins, other good things. But we can't overdose on it, and it's very easy to overdose on it in the summertime, isn't it? We can get burned very easily. And so we shield ourselves from it because we realize our lowliness. The brighter the sun shines, the more we see ourselves in light of that. We see ourselves as lowly, as nothing, as weak, And so did the saints. In the light of Christ, they saw their lowliness, their weakness. It was heightened for them, and so was their mournfulness, their repentance. And so they actually had what we call the gift of tears. And this is why we say that they watered the desert with their tears, because they went off into the desert, away from all the distractions of life. You know, no cell phones, no video things of any kind, just the desert. And there they would encounter themselves. They would encounter the devil. Above all, they would encounter Jesus Christ. 
When we come back, we're going to talk more about saints on this Sunday of All Saints in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. This is Bold Talk with Father Thomas Royal. Plain and simple, we cannot change our sex or gender. Everyone is born male or female, and this is woven through our entire being. Various aspects of brain construction and skeletal construction are different between men and women and cannot be interchanged. Even our very DNA is sex-tight. The most we can do is undergo cosmetic mutilation and live an illusion that we are the other gender, or no gender, or some other form of gender, or, well, you know what I mean. So why is modern civilization making delusion normative in all the name of compassion and sensitivity? It is because a scientific rationalist worldview out of which we view all of life has left civilization progressively disintegrated and bipolar. Spirit is separated from matter, body from soul, freedom from truth, person from nature. In these dichotomies, the physical world is value-free. The goal is to dominate nature because we think we can. The physical world has no connection or quality with values that are of a more spiritual or transcendent nature. We think we can do whatever we want at the moment with our bodies. Tattoo them, cut them, unite them sexually with someone we did not even know or love, or cosmetically reorient their sexual appearances. What also lies behind this is the same thing that was behind original sin. Our lust for autonomy, to be fully in control, as though we were God the Creator and not the creature. To affirm someone in delusion is never compassionate or sensitive. Real compassion, sensitivity, and even happiness will be found to the degree that we rediscover and defer to the natural order that God Himself set in place. This means rediscovering the sacramental, mystical worldview and eating a lot of humble pie. This is Bishop Christopher Coyne for OLPH Radio in Burlington, Vermont, and you're listening to Light of the East. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loyo, your host. Let's look at, as always, the liturgical prayer of the church on this great day of all saints because always in that we learn what we believe and there's lots of poetry lots of paradox a lot of artistry a lot of theology in these dogmatic hymns that we pray and chant in the eastern churches on these days in the matin service it says this before your sufferings, O Savior, you were willingly clothed in a cloak of mockery by the soldiers to cover the nakedness of our first father. And naked, you were nailed to the cross, setting aside your tunic, the symbol of death. Now, that prayer, that verse in the Matins, it's from Ode 5 of the Matins, the morning prayer of the church, is just filled with all kinds of comparisons. It's multi-leveled. Before your sufferings, O Lord, you were willingly clothed in a cloak of mockery by the soldiers. See that play on words? Clothed in the cloak of mockery by the soldiers to cover the nakedness of our first father. 
So what do we mean by that? What do the prayers mean by that? Well, back to Genesis. Remember, Adam and Eve were naked, but they felt no shame. That's before original sin, what St. John Paul II would call original man, before it all went wrong. When it went wrong, they looked at their nakedness differently. They looked at it in terms of shame, of not being able to trust each other's gaze anymore, because now they would look at each other in a way that was no longer so innocent, but possibly in a way of lustfulness or what we call appropriation, a kind of a consuming gaze rather than that gaze of inner peace, the peace of the interior gaze, as St. John Paul II called it. So the prayers refer to that nakedness, in other words, that later nakedness. And it says, by Christ becoming naked, he takes on our false nakedness, our shameful nakedness, and returns us to the original nakedness. Now, nakedness refers to, in the prayers of the church, especially with the Eastern Church Fathers, it refers to what we call, first of all, our original innocence, but later on, our garment of skin. In other words, our naked body after the fall, after original sin, was considered to be like a garment, a new garment we got, a soiled garment. In the understanding of the Eastern Fathers in terms of a theological anthropology, in other words, what was it like at the beginning and then after original sin? The Eastern Fathers emphasize this idea that the bodies that we have now, although they have been redeemed by Christ, and they are beautiful, as we certainly see in the paintings of Michelangelo, that's the message he tried to communicate, the redemption of the body. Although they are redeemed, at the same time, their form is a little more, what the Fathers would say, coarse. Yeah, a little more banal, a little rougher than our bodies were before original sin. Our bodies before original sin were probably much more perfect, much more spiritualized, very much as they will be in heaven when our bodies will rise up after the last judgment, be reunited with our souls, and be spiritualized, gloriously transfigured, like they were before the fall, and probably even better. And that's why the prayers use this whole play in the word naked. It's very, very rich. It says, you were nailed to the cross, setting aside your tunic, the symbol of death. Now, there's something that clothed Christ's body. So, through his nakedness, he actually clothes us in our original nakedness. In other words, through nakedness, he redeems our fallen nakedness. And the Tunic, as it says in the prayer here, is sort of a a play on that, kind of a paradox. By taking something off, he actually clothes us with his naked body on the cross, which redeems our body, gives us more of that original state before sin. Let's look at another prayer. This one, again, it's from the Matin services. It says this, The Lord has filled with his favor his saints who live on the earth. In their flesh, they have taken on the marks of his passion, which have become their adornment, shining brightly with a divine beauty. With our hymns, we also praise them as flowers that cannot wither and as spiritual holocausts as the star-filled sky of the church. Boy, lots of beautiful imagery there, isn't it? It's like in music. Some of the great compositions by some of the great composers, they would be called tone poems, like they painted a picture with music. You know, like, for instance, 
Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the Pastoral Symphony. When you listen to that, you can't help but hear the rustling of the trees and the waving of the grasses in the wind, and just you get that sense of nature painted through the music. Well, this is what we do in the liturgical verses, the theological and dogmatic hymns of the church. It says that we have become their adornment, shining brightly with a divine beauty. With our hymns, we also praise them as flowers that cannot wither, as spiritual holocaust, as the star-filled sky of the church. That's referring to the saints. We say that the, the sky of the church is studded with these stars. If you have ever looked up in the sky at night, you see stars, some of them very close, big and bright. They're fascinating. Others, less bright, less close. And it is that array of stars that makes that beautiful sky. It's not just all the same size, all the same brightness. Some are larger, some are brighter, but they all are stars and they all still shine and they're all in the heavens. Well, this is the same thing with saints. Some saints shine brighter. doesn't mean they're superior to other saints. The stars in the sky that shine brighter are not superior to those that are not as bright, are so for the most part because they're further away. There may be a little different composition than some of the brighter ones, but the point is, is that they all are equal in that they all shine, but in their own way, in their own, in a sense, categories as we have with saints. We have the fathers of the church, we have the prophets, we have the Virgin Mary at the top of the list, of course, the apostles right underneath her, the prophets, the, the martyrs, confessors, ascetics, unmercenaries. Those were saints who were doctors, physicians, and they did their work without pay, charitable work. So we call them unmercenaries. And the confessors and the venerables were those who professed their faith and suffered for it. They may not have died, they may not have been martyrs, but they were confessors. They suffered for their faith. In other words, they confessed or professed their faith by their example. And so they're like the stars of the church, of the sky of the church, different levels of brightness. Let's face it, there's a lot, a lot of saints that we never even heard of, but they still got into the books and they got into heaven. And they're still part of that star-studded sky of the church. Some saints are very, very bright. And this is all by God's design. It makes the beauty of this sky of the church just as the sky at night is beautiful only because there's a variation in the brightness of the stars and their size and closeness and in their relationship to one another. Some are more clustered, some are closer. In fact, some are such that they make constellations. At least we see it that way. And some are very far away. Sometimes you have to go very far away to see all those stars. I remember one of the greatest experiences of my life in this regard was I went on a sailboat cruise with the young single adults that I was a spiritual director for many years ago. We went on a sailboat cruise in the Caribbean, and when we sailed at night, I would just lay on the deck of the boat and look up at the sky. It was incredible. It was like I was laying in a vineyard. The stars sometimes were like in bunches, like grapes. It was unbelievable. Anyone who does sail or if there's professional sailors who are listening, or if you had your own boat, ever experienced that in cruises and so on, you know what I'm talking about. On a clear night, way out in the ocean, where there's no other artificial lights, the sun is gone, it's dark. It's incredible 
how many stars there are in the sky. It's almost like there's more stars than, than dark sky. Like you can reach out and grab them like clusters of grapes or blueberries or something. It's unbelievable. We don't see most of that in most parts of the world. We don't see that unless you get totally away from land, from wherever there is any kind of civilization. You see that magnificence. It's all there. So it is with the saints. We have so many saints. And by looking at their example, we are called to be inspired by them and to become saints ourselves. That's the only real ambition we should have in life, to become a saint. Now, the way we become that is by not knowing that we are or that we are becoming that because no one ever says, well, you know, I'm pretty holy, I'm a saint. No saint ever does that. The saints were marked by that ultimate self-sacrifice, but also by knowing about their own sin their own littleness in light of God, as we said before. A saint didn't know they were saints. If someone called them a saint or anyway gave them praise, they, they would shrink back from it. They were incredibly humble. That's why I always tell people, never say, well, I'm a good person. That's for God to decide. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. I didn't say that. Don't think the opposite. We just never say we're a good person. That's up to God. All we can say is that we are a sinner striving for holiness, and that we are thankful to Almighty God for all that He's given us. If we live by that, by repentance and gratitude, they both go together, because one is kind of a, almost a function of the other. That's the only honest posture we can have, gratitude to God and repentance for our own littleness, weakness, sinfulness, imperfection before so great a God. That spirituality will set you on the road to what we all should be seeking, and that is holiness to become saints. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ABC Media. WTN Radio for the reason that Mother Angelica founded this entire enterprise. She always saw this as a spiritual growth network. It was to be an enterprise in media that reached people in all aspects of their life. She saw this as a, a holistic approach to reaching the whole person in the middle of the world and bringing them truth and life. Raymond Arroyo thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road. 
Homer Glen, Illinois, or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.